Hello, listeners! It's episode 41 of Playing It Wrong, with our live studio audience of two dogs who have returned to napping. So, what's up with news this episode? The usual stuff, plus a couple of surprises. Well, first up, like I always do, is the technical notes. Hey, this week Anchor decided to add sponsorships. I don't know, for all of us doing stuff that's uh, RPG-related... Don't think the audience base is wide enough or if you actually get relevant sponsorships, but that's just like the monetization. It's something I'm thinking about. And I'll probably have more announcements next episode on that. I know I've been putting it off, but hey, like I said, surprises. And of course, we're going to have our usual reading from the Little Brown Books. But what's the surprise about this episode? Well, I had an episode planned out, and that's now going to go off next week. But this week... I'm going to talk about the Wild West, and I blame old man Grognard Glenn Halstrom for this, because a recent episode he did got me thinking. But first, we got some call-ins. We've got DM Dad and Colin with Spike Pit. First up, DM Dad. Hey, Chuck. It's uh, DM Dad. Um, really liked your episode about when to roll dice and when not to roll dice. Um, I also really liked your reading from uh, from the intro to the uh, to the original uh, little brown booklets. Um, one thing of, uh, I totally agree about the uh, early appendix N, and one thing that's really notable is that he does not mention Tolkien, not even the Hobbit, and certainly not Lord of the Rings. And I think it's a, a an indication that um, Gary Gygax's design intention was not for this to be epic fantasy, but more the kind of pulpy, gritty fantasy where, you know, you're prowling through the underworld in search of treasure, uh, not trying to save the world from destruction. And thank you for calling in. And I highly agree with you that I think that was probably the, one of the original design intentions of a more sword and sorcery, pulpy, weird fantasy type thing than Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> now, I know this is one of those weird things. I know I read it somewhere on the internet, which does not in any way indicate that it's true or the veracity of the statement, but I could swear I read somewhere that originally elves in Little Brown Books weren't based off the Tolkien-style elves at all, but they were actually a roundabout way of doing Elric, which well, was a lot darker than Legolas. You know, and it's like, you know, the original Gish character of fighter magic user. So it makes sense. And I, and I think a lot of the early edition playing is people try to gear more towards that. And we are seeing a resurgence, I can't talk today, a resurgence of that style of play, especially if you're looking at Dungeon Crawl Classics, Matt Finch's Jordorba, and a lot of other little things are just popping up here and there that don't have anywhere a Tolkien-type feel to them, which I think is a good thing, because sometimes it's a little, it's fun to be a little, well, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Fun, naughty, not epically heroic, just a guy with a sword getting by. And next up, we've got a call-in from Colin Spike Pit, and he's got a challenge for me. Hi Chuck, Colin Spike Pit. Calling in regarding episode 40, Know When to Roll Em, your dice rolling episode. And um, it got me thinking, 
We talk quite a lot about light systems, but for me, I want not only a light system, but a flexible system. And this ties into the dice rolling because when I sit at a session, I want to have the flexibility to get just the right amount of different aspects of the game into the session. And people like rolling dice, but I'm not always convinced they want to be rolling dice all the time. And sometimes if I have a session that's been too light with the dice, I feel like we maybe just didn't get enough. So I'm looking to hit a happy medium, a sprinkling of dice rolling, and I want a system that lets me choose where the dice are needed. Okay, mate. Laters. Oh, Colin, you are an evil man. Tough question, tough question. Eh, maybe not. Let me start ranting about this. First, let's go with my overall philosophy on the idea. Is The overall philosophy is the system doesn't matter because the game master is the one who is really going to be in control of when the players need to roll and when they don't need to roll. You can just say, yeah, you just do something without having to roll. Now, when the system's rear its ugly heads, is mainly like, oh, 4th edition, 3rd edition, 5th edition, and also the basic role-playing games like RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu, which each have their own fault, which I'll go into in a little bit. For them, the rules kind of put it onto the player of, here's what you can roll to do something, which kind of takes it out of the, the GM's hands, so, but you can still like kind of take that control back from the rules. So I'm looking at my bookshelf here, so... I could say, you know, any of the older games, you know, Basic and all its clones and Swords and Wizardry and Castles and Crusades and Dungeon Crawl Classics, AD&D, Labyrinth Lord, all those and all the s games that have spawned from all those, taking the one you like will work the best. Now, other games here, like, I, you know, Tunnels and Trolls, a little bit, I'm going to say... I've got my old Star Wars D6 game. That's another one where you can still control when the players roll or not. It's not forced like it... I don't say forced, but it's... The rules encourage it, like in 3rd, 4th, and 5th editions. I've also got Savage Worlds here, which is quite flexible. If You know, just get the basic book, basic core book, and then look at all the genre supplements that go with it, and the various setting supplements that go with it, and you can find. So that's, that's very flexible, and once again, like I said, it comes down to the GM saying, you need to roll, you don't need to roll. You know this, you don't. So it's not as hardwired in as in 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Um, going back to the basic role-playing with RuneQuest and Call of Cthulhu, those two have their own special problem when it comes to players rolling, and that special problem is it's all skill-driven, there are no classes, it's characters have skills, and the only way the characters get better at these skills is that they succeed on them. So the players are coming up with any excuse they can to roll their cooking skill, whether they need to or not, or roll some skill, whether they actually need to or not. They want to roll it because it's built into the game that the only way to get better is to succeed at it and then roll and get better, but that's the only way they can do is by rolling. So it has its own problems. But like I said, it's so much of it will depend is on the game master. I, the, this is one of those where I really think system doesn't matter. And some systems encourage it more. Like I said, basic fantasy, third, fourth, fifth. Um, but I think you can get around on fifth more than you can on third or fourth. And the basic role playing has its own, you know, its own problems. 
So I don't think it's that much system specific, but as just the way you roll the dice and the way you play. And sort of, as people, I hate using this term, but it's the social contract at the table. And once you're used to a group, they'll understand, they'll become this subconscious understanding of what I need to roll, what I don't need to roll, and it works from there. So that's my opinion. Take it or leave it. And thank you for calling in, Colin. Um, and I need to call you in, too. I had your, had a note on my desk to, to do a call into your show, but I don't remember what it was about, so I would have done a call in just to say, Hi, I'm calling you. And that was kind of silly. Anyway, on to the meat of this episode, the Wild West. So this got me thinking, Glenn Halstrom, Old Man Grognard, uh, he did an episode where I talked about how all Westerns can be easily changed to fantasy plots. He's talked about that in a lot of his episodes. And he mentioned a few games, which I'm going to mention later on in this episode, uh, that are really good at doing Westerns besides Boot Hill and Aces and Eights. And my full confession is here, the closest thing I've ever played to a Western is Deadlands, and close to that was sort of a homebrew homebrew campaign using GURPS, which, if anything, it was kind of like Space 1889, which I guess is kind of in that same era, but with that heavy steampunk vibe that also Deadlands had. Now, in a way, I'm kind of surprised there aren't more Western games. It's, And I was thinking about this, and I'm surprised that I haven't played more Western games. I think one thing is that Westerns, as far as from the gaming front, don't have nerd cred. But as far as culture goes, you know, I'm talking to you Americans out there, you know what I'm talking about. The Wild West is kind of this romanticized cultural history of folk tales that are uniquely American. Now, someone may be offended by that, but that's just my opinion. You know, in case you want to look up the stories like Pecos Bill and, you know, Jesse James and Billy the Kid, who were pretty much bad people in history, but became, you know, popular. Wild Bill Cody, Buffalo Bill, not Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill. You know, once again, you know, the legend is bigger than the actual person. Well, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, but you're getting my point here. This whole this whole era and this genre, this romanticized version of the Wild West is so much part of the American psyche that why don't we have more games like this? And uh, Glenn got me thinking, and he mentioned a few games, and I'm going to pull up my little PDFs here, and I'm going to share some names here. And also, uh, check the accompanying blog post. I'll have links to DriveThruRPG where these things are at, because they are dirt cheap. I mean, I think I spent five bucks downloading a whole bunch of games, and that was because I was being nice on pay-what-you-want stuff. So first up, the ones we got here are Wild West Light and the one Glenn Halster mentioned, Six Shooters and Wagons. These are nearly identical because they're both based on the Swords and Wizardry white box slash light slash continual light rule set, which are very much kissing cousins. They're pretty much the same. There's no magic-y. It's simple Wild West stuff classes, hit die, levels, simple mechanics. Cool. Not that much in either one that I feel is that reinforces the genre, but both good, simple, solid games and dirt cheap. Now, while while bleh, I'm going to do this all through this episode. I'm just you're just warned right now. Wild West Light also has an extra supplement called Eerie West, which 
basically throws in a little bit of supernatural and a little more pulpish elements to it with some other character classes. All these are good, and both of them are pretty much cross-compatible. Now, another one I grabbed was Westwater, which is based off BX. The problem is, it kind of ends up being more like just D&D reskin, because it includes elves, hobbits, and has your full range of normal spells. So, eh, it's got some good stuff. It's free art. It's that. It's it's cheap again, so it's free worth looking a look with a looky look. And since it's another D twenty based game, it can there's some cross pollination you can do between the previous ones I mentioned. Now I downloaded a couple others that are their own systems. Now one of the others I downloaded was Tombstone, which is an alpha playtest version from two thousand fifteen and I couldn't find anything else after that or a current version. So and it's its own system, independent of all but it's got some charts in it that could be handy, or at least inspiration that could be handy, if you're using something else. So it's you know I'm not going to go full review of these games because they're so dang dirt sheet, but they're they're each, in a way, you know, can play off the others like so many fantasy games can play each other, even though they don't have the same system. There's inspiration that you can steal and blend into your games. And the last one is Shotguns and Saddles by David Bezio. And if I remember right, he is also the gentleman who did uh, Explorers, the uh, pretty much uh, white box style um, sci-fi sci game that was way before White Star. But hey, check out Explorers. That's not EXP, it's XPLO. Yeah. You get the idea, you're smart. And it also has its own mini supplement to put in a little supernatural elements of the Wild West. So where am I going with this entire rant about the Wild West and keep mentioning supernatural stuff? Well, I had this idea a long time ago, and I guess I've got to like start putting pen to paper on this and kind of throw it out there to see what folks think of it's if it's a if it's a dog worth chasing. Yes, you're a dog worth chasing. You know, one of them's coming to say hi. She needs attention. And she give me big brown puppy eyes. Anyway, back to back, back to you folks. That the crazy idea to do somewhat of a little more horror, pulpish, weird fantasy type setting for the Wild West, or at least a system that kind of emulates that. So I'm not talking steampunkish or kind of the open magic type thing that you would see with uh, Deadlands and. Something more along the lines of, and I know there's one, I can't remember what it's called. There's a Call of Cthulhu supplement for the Old West, and I don't remember what it's called, but I've got the PDF on my drive somewhere, and I should have looked it up. But something more along those lines, more of a horror Wild West. Now, Robert E. Howard did write some weird West stories, and I should have looked them up before I started this episode, but just look it up online. He did some. And so I kind of think it's a genre that, that might be fun to put a little bit of that fantastic, but not making it over-the-top crazy the way, you know, kind of Conan is with Conan versus, you know, Legolas, you know, the, the high fantasy versus the sword and sorcery. Kind of a weird West, you know. My, my appendix end for this, I mean, there's one movie that really stands out in my mind, and that's Ravenous. So watch that about cannibals and stuff. And there's plenty of folklore that kind of throws that in with the Wild West and weird and mysterious things that happen that may or may not be true. But I'm just thinking that's a really cool idea to put that together and throw around that. So that's just like got stuck in my head in this week and I've been scribbling down notes in my notebook. So it's another project that I need to put on my to-do list. 
Thank you, Glenn. Thank you for giving me an earworm or a brain worm. And yeah, I'm really serious. Thank you. All right, you've heard me rant enough about that and eh, that crazy idea that popped in my head. So, uh, you know, hey, let me know what you think. think let, let me know if you think it's interesting or not. I probably will still do it. just depends on how far I'm going to take it. But now it's time to move on to our reading from the Holy Books, from the Little Brown Books. Last time we did the introduction, we're going to move ahead. And we're going to skip the little scope and how many dice you need in getting, buying an extra game of outdoor survival just to help you play. And various notebooks and stuff because, well, the only thing that's of note in the notebooks is you need a patient referee. Yes, even back then we knew the DM has to be patient. But I want to talk about um, the next short little section here, which is preparation for the campaign. The referee bears the entire burden here. That's right. Even if you're using published adventures, it's still up to you to know it, adjudicate it, and tweak it for the players. Um, but if care and thought are used, the reward will be more than repay him. The reward will more than repay him. That is a... We also got to show that Gary Gagax sometimes wrote really weird sentences. Now, for the list here, draw out a minimum of half a dozen maps of the levels of the underworld. So it's going with the idea of the dungeon is the setting. People then with monsters of various horrid aspects. Distribute treasure accordingly and note the locations of the ladder on two of the, of the two on keys, each score corresponding to the appropriate level. Make a dungeon, in other words. <coughs> this, uh, you know, completely described in third volume, which we'll get to later. When this is completed, the participants can then be allowed to make their first descent in the dungeon beneath that huge ruined pile, a vast castle built by generations of mad wizards and insane geniuses. Before they begin play, players, players need to decide what role they will play in the campaign, human or otherwise, fighter, cleric, or magic user. Thereafter, they will work upwards if they survive as they gain experience, in quotes. First, however, it is necessary to describe the roles possible. And then we're going to classes. That's going to be for next week. But this, the, 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 the short preparation, and I'm going to go with mix this in with the recommended equipment, even though I didn't say I, I wouldn't. See, this is all stream of thought, so it's yeah, not lots of editing, just me hitting pause when I get too stupid or tongue-tied. But, you know, the recommended equipment, the book you have, um, outdoor survival, chain mail. Um, what's odd is the number of dice. A pair of D4s, a pair of D8s, a pair of D20s, a pair of D12s, 4 to 20 pairs of D6s. No D10s. Wait, wait. Back then, remember, D20s were just numbered 1 to 10 twice. Um, only one three-ring notebook. Oh, referee and each player. So everybody needs to bring their notebook like their schools. Um, graph paper, sheet protectors, if possible, which I use a lot. It keeps those pages I print out and those uh, charts I print out a little healthier. <coughs> I don't think we need to go as far as getting drafting equipment, but colored pencils can be handy. Scratch paper and pencils because the players always forget their pencils. And somebody always needs scratch paper. And imagination, patient referee, and players. The last three are the most important and are really system neutral. Imagination. I would say also one of the, the things that is not mentioned here 
and it's very rarely mentioned in any of what is a role-playing game and what is you need, and that's a sense of humor. Because, you know, my whole philosophy is have fun and let things, crazy things happen, do crazy things. Because, you know, you don't remember the the boring times. You just remember the fun, crazy times. And that's why, you know, that's why, at least anyway, I play these games is to have fun, to laugh, and to do crazy stuff. Stuff I wouldn't normally do. Uh, well, of course, I can't cast spells and stuff, so I can't do that at all. But you know what I mean. Come on. Sit back. Have fun. Like I say all the time. Roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff. And then you know what that means? That means we're rolling into the end credits. Thanks for listening. And thanks for listening. Please visit the blog at theymightbegazebos.blog. That's theymightbegazebos.blog. And the letter B, not B, spelled out. Or visit us on Facebook to search for They Might Be Gazebos. Ask us questions and you might get an answer. If not, we'll just make up the questions and the answers. Remember, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff, and have fun. Intro music is Metal Mania by Kevin McLeod, licensed under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license. Please visit his website at incompetech.com. That's incompetech.com. Really, visit it. There's also downloadable graph paper and hex paper. Additional sound effects from freesound.org used under a Creative Commons 01.0 universal license.